So let's pray uh, to open our hearts to hear the word of the Lord that he has for us today as a church community. Lord, thank you that we can pray again in this service, <laughs> that we do this in communion with you, Father, that we don't just do things and go through motions, but we are in continuous communication with you this morning as Melinda encouraged us. Lord, thank you that you communicate back to us, Lord, and even this morning through prophetic word to say, today you want to speak to us in a very specific and profound way, Father. Thank you for the confirmation that we've heard around that, Lord, this morning, even in pre-service prayer, where you spoke to us there and said, today is the day of salvation. Today you want to come and set us free, Father. Lord, thank you for your word that says that light has come into the darkness, and the darkness cannot comprehend it, it cannot overcome it, it cannot overwhelm it, Lord. So we pray this morning that each one of us would step into your light, and that any darkness that we might face would flee in Jesus' name. Lord, as your word is opened up, I pray, Father, would you come and bring life to it. May each one of us hear it as you need to speak it to our hearts. And may we leave here saying that we have come into the light. We thank you for that in Jesus' name. We say amen. I hope you've got your notebooks here this morning and your Bibles. That's what we do when we go to church. We bring our notebooks and our Bibles. If you use your phone, great suggestion. Put it on airplane mode because then you won't feel the need to check WhatsApps and respond to the family with the plans for this afternoon because we are opening up the Word of God. And when we do, we do it with reverence and expectation for what He wants to say to us today. This morning, it's part two of a sermon that uh, we started last week, which is the words of Jesus who says, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And last week, we focused on that statement, I will build my church. Jesus, the promise maker, says that I will build, he is the builder, my church, we belong to him. And then the promise that says, that this church will be a prevailing place. This church would be a place of overcoming, of life, and of breakthrough. And this morning we're going to focus on the second part of that statement. And we're going to go back to scripture in a moment and read it again. But Jesus didn't just say, I will build my church. He then said, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So for two weeks we've been speaking about gates, gains and gates. We make gains for the kingdom of God as his church. And then these, these gates that we face. And today, I believe, just as we were encouraged prophetically and as we sang this morning, when darkness around us, still there is a light. That his banner over us is his name. And because of these things, we can be overcomers. We sang it in our songs this morning. We can sing it as well with my soul. Even if billows of sorrow rolls into my life, I can say it is well with my soul because of this promise of Jesus. I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. When I was 16 years old, I was the very courageous and brave young man that most 16 years olds find themselves to be because I have just learned to drive. Now, this wasn't with my parents' consent, but I've been with a friend on a game farm for the July holidays, and there was a Land Rover, and the next moment we as two 16-year-old boys found ourselves teaching ourselves how to drive this Land Rover around the farmyard in the middle of this game farm. A couple of months later, we were at a game farm uh, on a friend's farm of my parents. We went there hunting. And um, the next moment, this, this, uh, the man who owns the property said, hey, let's all go on a game drive. And me, being very courageous and brave, 
said, well, I know how to drive. And this uncle whose farmer is said, yeah, give the young man the keys. So here I am, and I'm trying to impress the one girl that was on this weekend with us. So I get in behind the wheel. I start the Land Rover. On the back of the Land Rover is my parents, my sisters, um, some other people, and the owner of the farm. And here we go out of the farmyard into the game range area. And as we get to the gate, would you believe it? Someone opens up the gate like you open up a farm gate, get the little link off, open it up, and I take my turn, and I didn't plan it well like I should, and my turn was too short. And the next moment, the front of the landy on the right-hand side hit the little link, the little ledge that you linked again, and started scraping the landy all the way down to the side. And I was persistent to get to the other side of this gate. This gate is not going to be in the way of my pride. It's not going to be in the way of me knowing how to drive. And I just kept pushing forward. As I kept pushing forward, eventually the side of the gate clicked onto the frame at the back of the Land Rover where everyone is sitting on and starts pulling them off. (laughs) And by God's grace, I throttled the car. I did something wrong with the clutch and the petrol and the gears, and the car died, and no one fell off, but they were hanging on a thread. (laughs) Needless to say, my mom was white as you can be. My dad was red as you can be. I'm glad he didn't say anything at that point of time. But my grace moment was when the owner of the Land Rover and the farm get off, and he looked walked to the front, and he looked at the side of the Land Rover, and he said, now that's what a Land Rover should look like. I know there's some people who like Toyota that would say, yeah, no, I don't agree with that statement. But he was grateful that this Landy now had a bit more character and a story to tell. But as a young man, I was persistent to get to the other side of the gate. And I believe that if I pushed through, we might have a little bit of injuries and the Land Rover might have had a longer scratch, but we would have prevailed and got to the other side. And I'm telling you that story to say, when God builds his church, it doesn't matter what gets in the way. He has promised that if we keep moving, we will get to the other side. And it might be that we find ourselves on the other side with a little bit more character and maybe with a few punches. But we have prevailed because we have made it to the other side. So let's read together in Matthew chapter 16 where this is all positioned. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Important question, who do you say Jesus Christ is? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Jesus is establishing three things right here in this moment. He's making sure that we know who he is. We're making sure that we know what he's busy doing. He's busy building his church. And then thirdly, he's making sure that we know who will win. He is the victorious one 
that'll win in the end. When we get to the end of the story, we know that he has already won. And we, as his followers, as disciples of Jesus, as believers in Christ, should live from that perspective that we have overcome and have been victorious already because of what Jesus has done. And he uses interesting language. He says, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail. Now we've got to make sure that we understand the Bible correctly and that we use the Bible to interpret the Bible. So what does gates of hell mean? In Job 38 verse 17 and also in Isaiah 38 verse 10, we get exactly the same phrase in the Hebrew version of, of, of the Bible because when Jesus was speaking, he was speaking Aramaic and it's written down in Greek. That speaks about the gate of hell being the realm of the dead. That ominous, dark, challenging, uncomfortable darkness of death and the underworld is some of what was trying to be described. The words Hades come to mind, the words Sheol. And Jesus said, I will build my church and even that will not prevail. Even the greatest darkness will not prevail. The gates, the entry, anything to that. In a moment, we'll see why it was called the gates of hell in this moment. But none of that will stand when my church is being built. Isn't that exciting already? To know that we're not just going on a game drive for some adventure, but we are carrying the light, and the light has come, and it's shone in the darkness, and darkness cannot overcome it. It might put up its greatest fight, but the light has won. The beginning of the story in Genesis, when man said no to God's ways and chose to sin and rebel against God, we saw that death was introduced. It was in that moment that the gates of hell opened up. And since then, it's been this war to make sure that we don't fall into the, the traps of death, but we overcome, that we remain sustained. And this morning, these two statements together, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail, basically and simply means as the church makes gains, we come up against the gates. What it doesn't mean is that we should run and storm those enemy gates. What it means is we do the important work of kingdom expansion, of expanding his kingdom, of being church, of growing in our Christ-likeness, of becoming more like him. And as we expand, we take more ground in the domain of darkness and death. And the spiritual realm has to flee because Christ has said what he has said. The darkness cannot overcome my ever-expanding work of me building my church. Now, we've got to talk about this for a moment because it really speaks about spiritual warfare. And there's some interesting ideas that some of us might have when we talk about this. The first one or the first pitfall we might find ourselves in is an underwhelming view of spiritual warfare. What this basically means is people that say, well, I don't care much for the spiritual things. You know what? Yeah, there might be something like that, but doesn't bother me that much. I'm not giving it much attention. Um, doesn't matter what books my kids read, what movies we watch. Uh, doesn't matter what we expose ourselves to. You know what? Because that whole darkness, and I, I don't just give much attention to it. Um, usually, you would have this statement: "Don't be so super spiritual. Just relax a little bit." You know, like doesn't mean much. But to that, the word clearly says in Ephesians. 
that put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Do you want me to read that again? (laughs) Our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Our struggle is against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms, the gates of hell. That's what our battle and our struggle is against. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, when you face days of evil and these things come, that you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything to remain standing. To be able to stand and after you've faced all those things, to still remain standing. An underwhelming view of spiritual warfare puts us in a very dangerous space. Because we don't think about this battle at all. And if we didn't need to think about it, I think Jesus might have omitted what he did in his statement when he spoke about the spiritual world. But all of the gospels and all of the word is full of this story. And Disney tries its very best to make movies about it. And what's great about it is that in the end, good always wins. But that's the story of human life. And where did they find it? They found it in the creator that tells our story. To say that there might be a fight, but in the end, I win. The other side of it is an overwhelming view of spiritual warfare. What I like about Jesus' words in Matthew 16 is the order in which he gave it. He said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. He didn't say, hey, there's a whole lot of evil and devils and demons out there. Focus on that. And by the way, do some church things. So an overwhelming view of spiritual warfare are those that want to keep on running and taking the battle and fighting the devil around every corner. Kevin DeYoung speaks about this, and he says the promise in Matthew 16 is not about venturing out on some dungeons and dragons spiritual crusade, but it's about Christ's guarantee that the church will not be vanquished by death. We could also err err on that side to find the devil in everything that we see. And there we've got to make sure that we have a right understanding of the theology of God. Because God is the only omnipresent being. The devil is not. So if we claim the devil to be everywhere, you're giving him much more power than he actually has. Think about that. I had a friend once who is a worship leader at a church and he ran late for church and didn't put petrol in the car and then ended up running late for his rehearsal, and it was one of those crazy mornings, and if you're a musician, you know how important it is to rehearse and to make sure that you feel comfortable before service starts, and he just had a tough day, and one of the people that prayed with him that morning said to him, oh, the devil is so difficult this morning. He said, no, I was just stupid. I didn't put any petrol in the car last night. (laughs) You see, we can quickly err on the side of giving the devil way more honor than what he's due. And there's way more angels and angelic beings, the Bible says, that are for God that is against him. So we can err on the side of giving him all the honor, all the praise, all the focus. And in a moment, we're going to see where Jesus spoke to them about the gates of hell, but we cannot carry an overwhelming view of spiritual warfare. In fact, this is what we read in 1 Peter. It says, be sober-minded and be watchful. 
Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Not your adversary, the devil, is around you all the time. He's walking around until he finds someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, and after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion. Forever and ever. The word dominion means sovereignty and ultimate rule. And it belongs to him. And we see in the story of Job that this devil goes around. And unless God allows any form of battle to happen, it won't take place. So we cannot carry this overwhelming sense that there's a devil around every corner. We've got to find this balance. And this is what I believe Jesus gave us the balance in Matthew chapter 16 about an overcoming view of spiritual warfare. The church will grow, friends, and as the church grows, the church will win. As the church is being expanded, and the church is the corporate and the individuals. That's why we say we follow Jesus together. I follow Jesus, but not by myself. I follow him together. It's in that expansion that we can live in overcoming spiritual warfare. And it's within this body and within the body of the church that we don't fall in this trap of saying, you know what, spiritual warfare is just for some people who like to pray a lot and uh, walk around with anointing oil in their backs. Or on this side saying that there's a devil around every bush. We've got to go and look for it and pray against it and proclaim against it and do all these things against it we've got to live in the overcoming state because that's what Christ has brought again I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it so practically what this means is we advance and as we advance we overcome and then we advance further and as we advance we overcome and then we continue to advance and as we advance and there's some resistance and there's a struggle as we just read, we overcome. So as a church community, as we take new ground in a, a simpler thing as changing our name from Every Nation Somerset West to Every Nation Halderberg as a prophetic statement and a belief that God has given us this basin, that is us advancing, taking ground. And as we do that, we might come up against a moment of struggle, but then we don't pause there. We keep advancing. We keep building. We keep believing. We keep growing in the word of Christ in our community and telling our world about Jesus. In the same way with our Christ-likeness. You might have decided last week that this is the week that you're going to spend more time in the word and prayer. And what happens on Monday goes pretty well. Tuesday comes, almost didn't make it. Wednesday morning is a crazy start to the day. And by Wednesday night, when you put your head down on the bed, what's happened? You haven't opened up the word or prayed. You've come against that gate of the busyness of our society that's coming against the advance of God in your own life. Maybe in your marriage, you've been deciding to do things differently, to up the effort to make more intentional effort with one another and with the Lord. And the next night, there's a big fight. <laughs> Anyone can relate to that? And it feels like it's all gone. Because that's usually what it feels like, right? Because <laughs> of the emotion. The moment we start taking advances, Jesus said, as my church grows, as you grow in your relationship with me, as you expand, there'll be some gates. Just keep walking. Just keep building. 
Just keep expanding. We heard the story this morning about Joy and Gloria, who's called back to their nation to go and plant a church, and they were facing the gates of seven days of turmoil to get there. This is what happens as we grow. We come against these gates. I can link this to so many things. We want our children to love Jesus, and at home they're safe, and we put Jesus into their lives, and we speak to them about what it is to know Jesus, but they go out into the world, and what do they face? They face these gates representing the realm of darkness and death in the world, and we've got to teach them how to advance through that. This week, we're celebrating Sadie's life, who was chosen to be head girl of this school for next year. Can we just honor God for that in her life? That's a young Christian girl making advances for God. And we better be praying for her because she's going to come up against some gates. There's going to be some moments where the enemy is going to try and derail her and throw her off course as she is a representative of Jesus and his church in this school. I can carry on. The list keeps going on. As we do new church plants in places like Zola and the Eastern Cape, even in the Helderberg, we are praying about Solari's past. We are walking a faith journey towards actually planting a church there. We've got to be okay with the fact that as we make advances, we are going to come against some gates. And I don't know what advances God has been putting into your life in this moment But this morning we are focusing on those gates, and I want to give us three keys from Scripture to show us that we can have an overcoming spiritual warfare in this life as we follow Jesus. First of all, we are overcoming in the darkest of places. And this is where the Bible opens up and becomes really, really interesting. Because what happened is, going to read it in scripture. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the son of man is? Jesus being so meticulously sure about the message he wants to leave his church, didn't have this conversations with his disciples back in Jerusalem. He didn't have this conversation with his disciples at any other point as they were going to the region of Caesarea Philippi. He stopped and he said, there's some things we've got to talk about. And the significance is this, and it was significant to both the Jewish, the Greek, and to the Roman hero of the day and age. Caesarea Philippi was known as the Mecca, or the high point of the spiritual underworld. It was considered the gates to the underworld. It was the darkest place in that moment of time, in that place of the world, And Jesus walks them there and he says, now that we've come to the darkest of places that we could possibly be, I want to ask you a question. Who do you say I am? He wanted to make sure that his lordship is still celebrated even in the darkest of places. To the Jewish mind, it would have referenced back to when the the people of, of, of Israel back in the day put up Baal gods. At the bottom of Mount Hermon, where this was, Caesarea Philippi, and worshipped false gods and worshipped and bowed to Baal. And within that, within the Baal, they've put up the Asherah and they worshipped sexuality as part of that. So for them, the Jewish mind, they're at the place where the people of God rebelled against them and there they have erected this Baal Baal image and worshipped 
there. To the Greek person, Caesarea Philippi was the place where they worshipped the god Pan and which they called the throne of Zeus. So the Jewish and the Greek and in the Romans, the reason it's called Caesarea Philippi is because Caesar wanted the city to be called after him. So all of culture and society in that moment knew that this was probably the darkest place when it comes to idolatry, paganism, and the underworld. In fact, there's those that believed that in winter times, the fertility gods would go there, and there's a cave in this place, and they would enter the underworld through that cave. And here Jesus confidently stands, and he says, in the darkest of places, I've got a question. Am I going to be defined by the darkness, or are you going to let the Father reveal to you who I am? Because when the Father reveals that, there will be an advance in your life and you will be found in that. And that's what last week's message was about. But then he was standing in the darkest of places and he says, even this, even this will not prevail when my church rises up. And when he used the words, and on this rock I will build my church, some believe he was actually referring to the idea that on this mountain where at the bottom there is this underworld, on top of that my church will rise because it's stronger and greater and better and far more uh, powerful than anything that this dark world has to give us. So Jesus is saying to us this morning that we can be overcoming in the darkest of places, friends. Overcoming in the darkest of places. I had coffee with Mario this week and just hearing some of his stories of the things that he sees in our world because of the ministry that God has given him makes me want to run a mile because I'll be really scared if I were in those circumstances. But he stands there confidently knowing that Jesus has said, even in this darkest place, I will build my church and it will prevail. And it will become strong. The psalmist said this, Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. Darkness is as light to God. Do we live there? Or are we bound by the darkness of culture and society and idolatry and all these things? Jesus said, I will build here and you will overcome. And we've got to lean into this for a moment. He didn't say, guys, before we build the church here, Oof, there's some spirits we've got to drive out. So I come against the spirit of Zeus in Jesus' name. I come against the spirit of Baal. No, he just said, I'm going to build my church and things will prevail. The scripture didn't say when he got to Caesarea Philippi, when content sent and tenke, and then he spoke to them about identity. And the reason I say that is because so many times we build like that. But we've got to build with the understanding that when the church is established, darkness has to flee. What are we relying on this morning? On our own efforts? Or are we relying on this promise 
that in the darkest of places, God's church will grow. I once had the joy to be in Varanasi, which is the spiritual capital of India, which is the birthplace of both Hinduism and Buddhism out of the same city. And the darkness you see there is ridiculous. But you know what was far greater than the darkness? is the light of Christ in the church that we met there and the people who's living free. In fact, we came against such darkness that one person on our team got so sick, he ended up in hospital for four days, near death. They didn't know what was wrong with him. He was just in a complete state of sickness. When we came to visit him in the hospital, some weird spiritual stuff happened inside the hospital that would freak any of you out and leave, make you leave the room. But in that place, we kept prevailing because we knew that Jesus said, even in the darkest of places, my light will shine and the darkness cannot overcome it. The darkness of society today, has it overcome Jesus in your understanding? The darkness of what our children are facing in schools. Is that the narrative of our words? Or are we saying, even though there is darkness, we know that the Bible says when we put Jesus into our kids, that a young man will not depart from his ways and they can go out there and face the world. Do we live with a high view of the light of Jesus in our midst to say that we are overcoming because of this promise? The second key in the scripture is that we overcome on the offensive, not on the defensive. As we make gains, as we move forward, so we take down these gates. Some of us just want to try and lock up our lives and, and just keep it really close and, and, and really safe because out there the world is all scary and crazy. But no, Jesus said, I will lead you and my church will grow. And as the church grows, you're going to come up against these things. So take the offensive to the battle. Don't just stand ready and back to defend anything coming to your way. The kingdom of God is a kingdom of ever expansion. It's always on the move. It's always taking more ground. It's always growing. And I once heard this said, which really impacted me. The kingdom of God is the only kingdom in the world that's never seen a recession. Out of all the kingdoms in the world, God's kingdom is always advancing. It never stops. Today, people will meet their maker and start following Jesus. He appears to people in dreams and they start following him. He puts them in places where they meet other Christians and they start following him. His kingdom is advancing. We are on the offensive, friends, we don't have to look around and be scared of this world and just try and defend ourselves. We can walk boldly in this call to build his church. Jesus said, the time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. And since the moment Jesus said the kingdom has come, it will keep on coming until that day that he returns and the fullness of the kingdom is in our midst. What would your life look like this week if you live there? Lord, your kingdom has come and it's going to come into my world this week. It's going to come into my workplace this week. It's going to come into my relationships this week. And I might face some difficult moments and some gates, but I'm going to stand on this promise that the kingdom has come near and is ever coming near upon us. That's where we are called to live. That's what it is to live this overcoming life that Jesus has for us. It has come near to see our own selves grow in the revelation of him. It's come near to see our families grow in the understanding and the love of God. It's come near to see this city, this basin changed because there's a people in this room this morning who says your kingdom is moving forward. 
We don't have to defend it. This is the beauty of it. We don't have to fight on behalf of God. He fights on behalf of us. We don't have to get nervous when people say, I'm not interested in God, as if we've got to try and defend Him. We've got to be able, as 1 Peter says, to make sure that people understand why we believe in Him, the hope that we hold on to. But it doesn't say that we've got to go out there and try and defend the thing that we believe in. We just grow as a church, and God's church will be on the offense taking ground. Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. He said these words to Pontius Pilate. When Pontius Pilate challenged him, he said, are you a king? And he said, my kingdom is not of this world. Because I don't see my band of brothers taking up arms to come and save me. Because that's how the world takes advances. That's how the world takes ground. That's how the world is on the offensive. We go in with war. We go in with battle. We go in with violence. And Jesus said, no, not my kingdom. Because he knew this. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Friends, when we come against the gates, we don't fight like the world does. And hear my heart when I say this this morning. But I prayed about some gates that we face in our community. I want to speak into prophetically. But we face the gates of Mammon in the Helderberg. I'm not sure if you've noticed. Interesting that the only God that Jesus directly put himself up against is Mammon in his own words. You cannot serve God and Mammon. Mammon is the God of money for those of you who don't know. But that's a gate in our community. So how do we counter that? Well, we fight with the weapons of our warfare. And the best way you can fight mammon is with generosity. It's to become generous. When you're fighting that war, that, that war of more and more and greater and better and nicer, it's to say, no, I'm not going to let this gate stand in my life. I'm going to advance beyond it and become a generous person that's going to use the wealth he's given to me and give it away and use the seeds that he's entrusted into my hands and sow it in his kingdom. In this community, we stand against the gate of partiality. Or let me use, if I may, the modern word, the gate of cliques. Social groups that become exclusive. Did you know that Jesus said that that's the one thing he detests in his church? He told the parable of the rich guy that walked into church and he felt very comfortable up front with that clique of people that really wanted to make space for him. But when the poor man comes in, oh goodness, you've got to sit at the back. And Jesus said, not in my kingdom. And my heart breaks because I'm hearing it quite often how people find it really hard to find meaningful friendships even in church because there's these groups. And yes, we need deep and meaningful friendships. But when Jesus is Lord of our lives, we live it in such a way that our lives are open for more people to be part of that environment. 
When you live in the Cape, they say, it's not about the people, it's about what we get to do. And then we choose which people we want to do it with. Because there's mountains to climb, there's beaches to go to, there's sports to do. And I really want to do that with those people that I really like. Other places in our country where there's not all these options, for those it's really about the people. As long as we're with people, we don't mind what we do. But that's a gate we've got to identify today that comes against the church as the church is growing and leaves people isolated and alienated from a place where they should be safe and feel welcome and that they can be a part of it. Do you agree with that? How do we fight that? We fight it with inclusivity and unity. We fight it by opening up our homes to people. We fight that by when we are at church and not just hang out and say hello to those that we feel cliquey with, but we actually go out after church and greet some new faces. So, hey, how are you? Where are you from? Tell me your story. In that is a richness and an enjoyment for us to, to embrace as the body because the body is a place where all peoples of life come together. Another gate that we stand against in our society here, I believe, is the gate of opinion. My opinion is this. How do we fight that gate? We fight it with the word. Well, his opinion is this. You see, we don't have to fight someone's opinion. We can just say, great opinion, Eugene. You know what? I kind of like this one. That's how we fight this war. That's how we push these gates down. Another gate that I prayerfully felt the Lord lay on my heart is the idea of individualism, of me and self, and we've spoken a lot about that lately. How do we fight that? We fight that with the weapon of discipleship. Because Jesus said, if you want to be my disciple, deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. Think less of yourself and follow me. Don't make it all about you. He's given us these weapons of warfare. Another one I want to mention is performance, is having to live up to a certain standard and present something to, to look all in place and all good and all great. You've got to perform. Anyone feels like that sometimes? Just got to perform to be accepted. What is the weapon that we use? The counteract is worship. We don't have to perform in His presence. We worship an audience of one. If I live in that revelation that all I'm here for is to make his name great, that performance that I have, and I even sometimes feel when I've got to share a message because we live in a performance culture. How good is it going to be? How great is it going to be? You know, all these boxes. To understand, Lord, that I'm just here to open up your word and do a good job at trying to explain to your people what your heart is, and that's enough. We counter performance with the weapon of worship. Sexuality. How do we counter that? And brokenness, we counter it with the weapon of purity, of staying pure, staying set aside to God and His purposes. Another one that I felt is important for us to speak about in our community is the gate of comfort. Things that are comfortable. What is the weapon of our warfare? It's a servant heart. When your life lines up to Jesus' words to say, the Son of Man has not come to be served, but to serve, you wouldn't want all those comforts serving you. You would say, what can I do this day, this week, this month to serve others who might need it? It's as simple as that, friends. We overcome and we take 
the, the victory in the offensive by fighting with these humble, different, unique attitudes of the kingdom that he has given us. And then lastly, and so importantly, we overcome in community. You cannot fight this battle by yourself. And for whatever reason we sometimes do, we isolate ourselves and we come against the, the realm of, of death and we face these things and we try and think we can do it ourselves. But in Acts chapter 12, when Peter was kept in prison, it says the church was earnestly praying to God for him. They prayed him out of the prison because in walked an angel and took off the things of his hands and moved him out of there. In Acts chapter 16, again, Paul and Silas was in prison. And because they were together, they said, you know what, Paul, I'm in prison. And yes, Silas, I'm in prison. We're not going to prison apart. We're going to prison together. And when they prisoned together, they started singing and worshiping and praying together. And the next moment, there was an earthquake and all the bonds were unfastened. And not only did Paul and Silas walk out of prison, but every other person in prison with them. Because they knew that overcoming happens in community. We've got to pray and live and worship each other out of the prisons that we find ourselves in. And that happens in community. It's being vulnerably and brutally, brutally honest about where you find yourself so that we can take that next step. That's what victory, experiencing victory is all about, friends. It's a space where you can go and say, you know what, there's something that I'm up against that I'm really battling to get to the other side of. And you get friends to pray with you. And you get to the other side because we have this promise that the gates of hell cannot stand. I want to end with this scripture. Brothers and sisters, pray for us that the message of the Lord may spread rapidly and be honored just as it was with you. And pray that we may be delivered from wicked and evil people. For not everyone has faith. But the Lord is faithful. And he will strengthen you and protect you from the evil one. We have confidence in the Lord that you are doing and will continue to do the things we command. May the Lord direct your hearts into God's love and into Christ's perseverance. The apostle Paul needed to cry out for prayer when he faced the gates of this world of wickedness and evil. I'm going to ask Uncle Joe, Stefan, come join me. Ruan, come join me. Uh, Anthony, come join me. You guys can just stand there. I'll call you in a moment. Uh, there's, there, both Stefans can come. It's a Swiss kill. <laughs> I just want to read this list that I wrote again. I call them the Helderberg Gates. Mammon, partiality, opinion, individualism, performance, sexuality, comfort. One of the challenges we have in the church world today is that we've made our Christian faith so deeply individual. It's my journey. It's, it's I've got to make this work. And the worst thing that we can do is leave here today saying, I'm facing some things and I'm going to try and push against it. 
I'm going to try and overcome this. It might be sickness. You just need some brothers and sisters to come around you and pray with you to get to the other side. And look at my friend, a hero to me, Wolfie Ekleben, whose mom is with us in church, who's currently facing a very difficult battle with cancer. But you know what? He has not stopped advancing God's kingdom and building his church because I know Wolfie believes this. There's been some moments where he needed to be on a plane to go to other places in Europe to advance the kingdom, and his body just can't, and he calls on his brothers and his sisters and says, this gate of cancer is in front of me. Can you pray me through to the other side? And then if you follow him on social media, you'll see that he's got these videos with his face all in the middle of it. It says, friends, thank you for praying. I am in Krakow, Poland, where I need to lead the Europe team because you guys have prayed. You see, what we want to do in our walk is we, we want to figure it out how we can push down these gates. And if we can't, then the Word of God feels like it's not working, it's not straight. And then we get all these other things that we add, be it mental health helpers, be it psychologists, be it philosophers, be it media, be it books, all the self-help things that we have in this world. And we add it and we try and push against the gates. But it's in those moments that we come against the gates where I said, and you know what? I'm really fighting against Mammon here. I need you to help me. And Ant locks arms with me and he starts pushing with me. And then he says, Pierre, let me teach you how to be more generous. Let you tell you my story. Generosity is the thing in my life that helps me come against this gate. And all of a sudden, I grow, and the church is established, and there's advancement. And then the two of us walk, and we say, you know what? It's interesting in church. There's all these cliques. There's all these people that make groups that don't fight. And we say, you know what are we going to do? We're going to invite Stefan and Stefan to come and click with us. And we're going to show people that even though we're from different walks of life and we do things differently and we think differently, that because of Jesus Christ and by His precious blood, He has brought unity, we're going to walk together and we're going to take more gates. And then we say, Uncle Joseph, we need some fatherly wisdom because we are facing a world in where there's identity crises for our kids. Can you come with your fatherly wisdom? Where are you, Uncle Joe? And the moment he comes, we are five strong men now. We have the ability to push forward even more. And then we say, we've got to get the strongest man on the team. Ruan, come and join us because there's some things that we are facing. And you know what? Because our mind and our opinion gets in the way, we've got to start thinking like a child again because Jesus says the kingdom of God will come to those who believe like children. So have us have the faith of a child. And Ruan, come and encourage us to go forward and we keep advancing, and this is how we win. Can you give them a hand? More ground for the kingdom. I know it's the simplest grade one example I could use, but isn't that profound? Church, that's what Jesus meant. And we could be in the darkest place like Caesarea Philippi, and it could feel like the enemy is trying his very best, but if we lock arms we win because we are in community. We've got to lean into each other, friends. We've got to lean into each other. The enemy loves it when you lean into someone else and they don't quite give to you what you want. And you're just like, ah, oh, this is not working. Keep trying. Open up your life. Open up your home. Call someone. Invite someone over. Let's walk in community because there Jesus said, my church will prevail. He didn't turn to Peter and say, Peter, you, Peter, will prevail. He said, no, the body will be a prevailing force against anything that comes against it. Let's stand as we're ready to praise our...
pray out this morning. Sure, Lord, I, I thank you that your word is simple and it's true. And I have such a sense, even now, Lord, there are hearts that are struggling to just accept this message. There's gates of disbelief, there's gates of pain, there's gates of disappointment. Holy Spirit, do you want to move us past those gates this morning? I do believe you want to. That's your heart. So I pray, Holy Spirit, let us see your heart this morning. To be living in your kingdom is to be confident that we are overcomers. Not just one day, but today, Father. That we can overcome. That we can take a few steps forward. Lord, I want to pray this morning that you would knit us together as a body. In a new and profound and deeper way than before. That we would fight that fighting together in community is what will help us prevail. Taking ground, taking the next steps. Lord, I want to pray if there's any lies of the enemy in any hearts that says that you do not fit, or you're not enough, or you don't have it all together. Holy Spirit, will you expose those lies? May those gates fall. Lord, we are people of life and we are people of light. And even though the realm of darkness and death tries its very best, your word is clear, promise upon promise upon promise that we will prevail. I pray this morning, Lord, for my brothers and sisters, Lord, that might have given up on, on moving forward and might have sat down or even retreated because of intimidation and fear. Lord, we stand on your word this morning to show us that we can advance. Lord, I pray that this would be an advancing community, that this would be a church and a house that stands upon these words of Jesus and take it to heart and live it out, and that we would lock arms, that we would lock arms, Lord, that we would find those brothers and sisters we need to help us move forward so that we can get to the other side of what you have for us. Thank you, Jesus. This morning, the invitation to respond is slightly different than usual. Beyond all of us hearing the word and saying, thank you, Lord, and <laughs> responding how you ought to respond. But we want to pray for people that need to lock arms this morning with someone else to get through to the other side. And sometimes it's a simple prayer. Sometimes we pray for healing and it's instant. Sometimes we pray for healing like our friend Wolfie and there's a constant journey of locking arms and pushing forward, taking grounds. Sometimes there's a soul hurt or there's something in your emotion or in your person that God needs to walk you through. But we've asked our pastoral team to be ready to pray for people this morning. And when we close the service, just down here where we've got the mother's room, there's going to be a team there wanting to pray for people. And I want to say this. You know this morning if you need prayer, if you need a brother or sister to say, to, to, that you can just go to and say, there's a gate, I just need to be prayed to the other side. The beauty about our pastoral team is they won't just leave it to prayer. If you need next steps, if you need further help, 
They can t tell you which direction to go. And they can point you in a way where you can lock arms with others that can help you move forward. So if that's you, can you pause your life for a moment and go find that community who's ready to help you move and take the next steps? I know there's things to do. I know there's a day to face. But can we leave this room facing the next day together as a community? Having prayed for another, one another, protecting one another, overcoming together as a church. The second way you've got to respond is if you are not in community in the week, oh, you've got to better find that. We have groups where people do discipleship together, and it's in those groups that we push together until there's victory in people's lives. You cannot live this Christian faith by yourself in the week. And if you are not in a group, find a group to be in. How do you find a group? Well, you just send us a WhatsApp for today. We'll keep it simple. We're going to try our very best to find you to a group. Some people are currently walking through our membership journey so that we can put them into place with others where they can walk to. But we follow Jesus together. We follow it with community. And then the third thing that I want you to do this week, can you take the effort to reach out to someone that you usually wouldn't to and just say, hey, I usually reach out to Eugene. So I'm going to use an example. Eugene, I want to find out how your life is. Is there any gates that you are facing that I can help you with? Sometimes it's very practical. It's not always just spiritual and we've got to pray. Sometimes we've got to do stuff. Eugene might share something with me and I'm like, man, I've got a solution to that. Eugene, let me help you in this way or another way. So three responses this morning. If you need prayer, we're going to create an environment for you to get prayer today. Some of our leaders will be there. Some of our elders will be there. Our pastoral team will be there. They're going to pray with you. Secondly, make sure that you are in community in the week. Make sure that that happens. And thirdly, be community to someone else this week. Amen. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you leave us with this encouragement today. I pray, Lord, that we would be blessed with the knowing that our Father loves us and that He reveals to us who Christ is. Jesus, I pray that we would be blessed this week knowing that this word of you is sure and it's a promise for us to stand on. And Holy Spirit, will you be the one that lock arms with us today and constantly remind us that by your power, we are overcomers in this world. We trust you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Be blessed. If you need prayer, please go. And uh, we'll see you guys again next week.